You are now listening to Out of the Blank. 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 Welcome to another episode of Out of the Blank Podcast. I'm here with Ian Robinson. Yes. Ian, your last name is similar to mine. You know what my last name is? What is it? Robertson. There you go. Bam, look at that. We're already, we're connected at birth. From the word go. Yeah, there you go. So tell me a little bit about yourself, Ian, and what do you do professionally? Uh, Right now, I I work for Apple. Um, I work as, I basically repair stuff. Like I repair computers, I repair phones, I repair some iPod, iPads, I repair whatever anybody brings in, whether it's they're having software issues or they're having hardware issues. I repair that. Um, previous to that, probably the biggest thing I'm known for is that uh, between the years of 2000 and 2003, I was an on-air news reporter for MTV. Um, I was the metal guy. And then after that, I, other than that, I've mostly been a touring musician. Um, and then I worked for a little while with troubled kids because I'm from originally from New York. I moved to Boston. I lived in Boston for about six years and worked with troubled teens. And then I moved to Cincinnati with an ex-girlfriend, uh, to go back to school. And I went back to school, me and that girl broke up and I was kind of going to leave. I was going to finish out my school in Cincinnati because it's just a cheap place to go to school and get a decent education and go back to Boston. And then I met my wife here. And the cost of living here is crazy. And I've done so much traveling over my life. I'm not really, I don't, and I grew up in a New York City, so I'm not really, I don't really need to live in a big city. So we decided to stay here and uh, we bought a house and it's cool. But yeah, right now I work for Apple. I just, I go in, I fix shit and then I leave. It's kind of nice. It's like the first job I've had where, you know, I care about what I do, but I don't, I'm not like tied up in the, the career aspect of it. So. For sure. I mean, how often do you get people that are just pissed off when they go in there? Because half the time their phone's so slow, they can't even use it. I feel like Apple sends me updates to update my phone, make it a newer software every couple of days. And it's always at the worst times, like right when I'm trying to use it. And the problem, people always come in at, at the end of the business that I'm in, people are always, they're not angry, but they're generally not in the best mood. Uh, some people handle it better than others. Um, some people understand technology. Usually it comes from understanding technology. A lot of people, and this is not their fault. This is just the way it is with anything. It's just like, you know, with a car, like when I bought my car, I was like, great, I bought a car. It should be fine forever. And that's just not the reality of it. But I don't know anything about cars. People come in, they don't know anything about technology. They're like, I bought this. I paid $1,500 for a fucking phone. Um, it should be as flawless as possible. That's just not how technology works. The problem with the updates is that, um, and this is true of us or anybody who does any kind of software thing, is once you update the software and the phone or the iPad or whatever, it starts running at its optimum rate. Any small problem that was kind of hidden in a uh, a less optimum running uh, state becomes much bigger. So all of a sudden they have to send a patch for that to be fixed. So it seems like they're updating the operating software constantly, but they don't. They only really update this operating software in a big way once a year. But it's all these little things that go on to fix errors that pop up in the technology. And if you don't like, if you don't do that for a living, like I do it every day, so it all makes total sense to me. But 
I always use my wife as a as a sounding board because she doesn't she understands technology, but she just doesn't give fuck about it at all. And so when when she says something, I'm like I'm like, well, that's just how it is. She's like, yeah, but that's not. I, I don't understand that. So to me, it's just you guys are constantly sending things that are making my phone do this, that, the other thing. And I get the frustration. It's why I'm better at the job than a lot of people who come in because I get that people are going to be frustrated and why. So I don't hold it against them. I just try to help them figure it out. Well, it's for, it's it's frustrating because, first of all, the, the phone charger, that, that's ridiculous. The iPhone can't be compatible with anything else. And if you get another iPhone, it's a, you get have to basically get a whole new phone charger sometimes, like going up from the original to where it is now. Like We have the newer one. But it seems like that phone charger is just run down piece of crap. It seems like it kind of messes up like every couple well, of the months. Actual, so. I mean, I can't get too much into this because I don't want my company to come and, you know, two men in suits tell me I don't work there anymore. But... Or the, shoot you in the head. <laughs> the chargers um, that Apple sells that come with the phone are built to come with the phone. And they're, I mean, I've had my charger for my five now for, I don't know, six years or seven years. I've had the five and it's never had a problem. It's not worn out. It's not torn up. Um, they're built to last. The problem is they're expensive. So if you lose one or if something happens to yours, people are like, well, I'm not paying 20 bucks for another one. I'll buy the one from Target. Problem is the ones at Target are built for universal uh, use and that's not how Apple's made. So what happens is they're like Vegas. If you get a third-party charger, part of you may get one that works great and nothing happens. You might also get one that bends your pins or fries out your um, uh, motherboard because the, the chargers that you get are cheap are just the power. The chargers that you get from Apple understand that the pins come in two sections. There's the pins that charge and there's the pins that send information. What happens is third-party chargers start charging up. They just charge. They go, bam, and it's not what they're, they're built to do. So, I mean, I get the frustration. They're expensive to buy. You get one if you lose it, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, it is, it's just like anything else. You know, I bought a car. I'd had it less than four years, and the engine cracked. And I was like, I, I, and I wasn't out doing my, like, fast and furious fantasy. I was driving to work, and the, the engine cracked. And it's a five-year-old. It was less than five years. And I was like, what the fuck? And they're like, shit, you know, it's just how it happens sometimes. Yeah, I, and- get, a, I get a little, I, I, I noticed this the other day, I got freaked out because I was plugging in my phone charger and I was like, why isn't my phone charging? And I kept looking, you can put it in upside down and the thing just still goes in, but it doesn't charge. Yeah, and you can also, the other thing is that the pins are supposed to lock in. So if you press it in and you've got um, like dirt or lint in your port uh, and it pushes even just the slightest bit out of the lock, it'll stop charging or it'll go back and forth, charge, not charge, charge, not charge. And so, you know, and I, I can't tell people to clean out their own port because if you do it wrong, you can break the phone. So I just tell people to bring it into, if they got an Apple store near them, bring it in and let us do it. Uh, that way, you know, it'll be done right. But it's, you know, it's Apple products, whether, I mean, I know it sounds like snake oil because I work there, but Apple products are probably better built than just about any other product out there as far as phones go. The problem is they're priced that way. So when, when there are issues, replacing them or getting them fixed can be more expensive than, say, something like a Galaxy, which is a cheaper brand. Plus, Galaxies and things like that don't have a store that can fix them. You just have to upgrade to get a new phone. Yeah, so there's, there's a, lot of, 
Well, there's always two sides. There's always the Android and then there's the Apple side. It's like, honestly, I, I'm good with just the phone. Like, I'd like to be able to play games on it half the time. Right. See, well, phones originally started being these giant things that you could barely lug around. You needed, like, a briefcase to kind of carry yeah. it around. Then they went to completely small, more, com- like, compact for your pocket. And now they're getting so big, they don't fit inside a kid's skinny jeans anymore. <laughs> like, wow. he's like, like, now it's like you're literally carrying around a tablet. And I'm like, what's the point of it? It's just so you can play games on it. They just well, capitalize the on the bigger screen. Well, it depends on who you are. I mean, like me, I, I don't really like. I have a laptop that's ancient. I have a my own podcast, which is called Cream Comics Rule Everything Around Me, and it's the comic book podcast. And the only thing I really do on my laptop because it's kind of old is I record the podcast and edit it. But everything I do, everything on my phone, everything. Like um, I do some ghostwriting to sort of supplement my income, so people will send me things to look at. I will. Um, you know, I do emails all day. I did everything I do. I do on my phone. I'm 48 years old. My eyes are not what they used to be. So having the bigger screen for me is awesome. And then for some people like my wife, my wife has a normal size screen. It's not a big deal. A lot of people wish that they could do that. They would, that they would keep doing the smaller five for the people who wanted it. I don't know. That's way above my pay grade as to why they're not doing it. But you know, the more people, the problem is everybody does everything on their phone. And so the more the phone is responsible to do, the, the bigger the technology has to get. It's just, it's just the, the nature of the beast. If you want the phone to do play games, take care of your contacts, your meetings, contact people, um, be able to do FaceTime, be able to hold your records, be able to you know, manipulate and edit reports and things on your phone, the technologies can't stay itty bitty. It can't stay flip phone size because that was not what it was built for. So it's, it's interesting with both sides. I get it. I understand like people come in all the time and they're like, I wish I could just get a flip phone. And I'm like, yeah, but you don't because as soon as you got a flip phone and it didn't do all these other things that you've just grown used to it doing, you'd be pissed off about that. So I get, I get what, yeah. what are your most common problems you deal with in the Apple industry? Cause I mean, honestly, there seems like a, a little bit to complain, but still people are going to go out and buy the new iPhone anyway. Like you were saying, it's more advanced than any other phone. I mean, real, re- realistically, what I deal with more so than anything else, it's really not, I mean, people drop their phones and crack them or drop them and down, or, you know, people run over them with cars. They leave them on top of their, you know, accidents happen. I deal with, I deal with accidents. People come in and go, I broke my phone. More than anything else, the phone works fine. They're happy with the phone. They love Apple. It's all, you know, kumbaya. They just broke their phone. That's the main thing that I work with. The second thing is uh, usually Apple ID because you set up your Apple ID, you set up your password. And then because we have touchscreen or we have face ID, you may not enter it in as often as you, as you might have in the past. And so something happens or you have to change it or the password, something goes on and you don't know your password and you have to try to figure it out. A lot of people don't know how to do that and they'll come in and, and help me. Very rarely, if ever, is it some kind of like, what the hell? Why does this not work? I blah, blah, blah. It's very rarely that. It's usually, I broke my phone or can you help me with um, my Apple ID? Uh, occasionally, you'll get things that fail, but most of the time when you get things that fail, you know Apple can fix them if you're still in warranty for, for nothing or if you're uh, out of warranty for very little money. So like I said, and I don't want to spend too much time on Apple because it's my job and I get real weird about that. Um, but most of the time, it's just, it's either people break their phones or they just need help figuring out some kind of software issue and everybody leaves happy. Like I don't, I, I've never, like I've been there six years or five years or something. I've never been yelled at. I've never had anybody freak out and slam things in front of me. People start off in a bad 
mood because it's an inconvenience. If you're good at what you do and you can make them feel like you give a shit about their problems, which you're, if you don't, then you shouldn't be doing this. Um, and then you talk them through the issue and then they usually go home happy. That's 97% of what I do. I don't think anybody emotionally or mentally could take it if it was just nonstop verbal abuse, which isn't what it is. Because like I said, Apple makes better products than I think anybody else. And I know what that sounds like because I work there, but it's true. And so you don't get a lot of like of these hardship, awful stories. It's mostly just my phone's broken. Can you fix it? My phone's broken. Can you fix it? And then we fix it and they go home happy. But yeah, it's hard um, to get a cracked screen too because it's interchangeable. But how do you go from creating uh like you know working with apple and then creating a podcast about comic books like this this is obviously something you probably had as a child right well yeah i mean when i was a kid um my grandfather worked they don't i don't think they have them anymore my grandfather worked at a distribution house um so basically what used to happen back in the day in like the 60s and 70s and 50s and stuff was comic books and magazines would send all of their shit to a distribution house in your town and then your town, they, they would send it out to the magazine stores, bookstores, you know, 7-Elevens or whoever got the magazines to uh, whoever sell them as retail. So my grandfather uh, ran one. He was like the manager of the whole thing. So he would go through and when I was a kid, he would pick me up, you know, Charlie Brown collections or Archie Digests. And I just started reading those. And then when I got to be about, seven or eight or nine, I guess. I don't know. I, uh, I found my first Batman comic and I fell in love with Batman. So he started just picking up all the comics that came through from DC or Marvel. Cause that was all there was back then. And he would just send them to me in these batches. And I started reading them. And it's one of these things that's like, you know, comic books, punk rock music, professional wrestling. Like it's one of these things I picked up as a kid. And even though I'm almost 50, I just never let go of. So, um, you know, I've yeah, been reading them this whole <clears throat> I'm sorry. Do you have more of a fascination with the artwork or do you have more fascination with the storyline? Because I found like the art is amazing. It's just like when you had a Pokemon card or a Yu-Gi-Oh card when you're a kid. I mean, the, the, the artistic talent that each artist puts into making a comic book and making their own version of it is amazing, whether it's the story or whether it's just the artistic talent. Now, when we go to the story, there are some comics that do have a kind of crappy, I guess, uh, more artistic feature to it. But the story is so damn interesting that it makes you want to keep on reading page yeah. after page. Yeah, well, that was sort of, it also has to do with like what you're reading. Like right now, uh, you know, the big two, like DC and Marvel, DC and Marvel are always essentially going to pump out the same thing. Super, and, and I read these comics and love them, so I'm not talking shit, it's just the truth. They will, uh, superhero A goes up against bad guy B for a stretch of comic books, and then the story resigns itself, superhero wins, and then next problem shows up they have the same so, template they know what works so it's just like sure. call of duty they're going to keep pumping out the same kind of template for it because that's what works yeah. and then and they'll update them sometimes like you know when batman when batman first uh appeared in 1939 he was this dark avenger in the very first comic book he actually kills a guy he had a gun in when his first run too and uh, then when the Silver Age came, like the 50s started and the downfall. So the comics got big. World War II happened. And then post-World War II, comics started to fall apart. Well, in the 60s, the Batman TV show um, came out and it was goofy and silly and campy. And that's kind of what Batman became because it 
it started in the Silver Age. The Silver Age was a lot more about um, science fiction and putting complex characters in weird things like, you know, Superman becomes a cat or Batman goes to space or whatever. And so Batman was super, super campy. And those stories are really fucking stupid. But the artwork, you had some of the, you know, giants of the time fucking doing work. And so the artwork was awesome. And then, you know, the Bronze Age, they started getting more into making them. And this happened, of course, with the success of Marvel, because Marvel's comics, Jack Kirby and Stan Lee both helped make comic book characters a bit more 3D with real life problems like Spider-Man and well, Spider-Man was Ditko, but the Hulk and Spider-Man and Captain America and all that. And so what happened was Batman, Denny O'Neill and uh, Neil Adams were like, all right, well, look, you know, Batman was used to be this dark character in these dark situations. Let's bring him back to that. And they brought back to that. So then when you look at that, you have this great marriage of both story and artwork because Neil Adams was a tremendous artist. Denny O'Neill wrote amazing stories for them, for Green Lantern, for Green Arrow. And, um, and so the two were married. And then the 80s came, and the 80s it became much more about uh, the artwork and less about the story. 90s it became more about the story. And then the mid-90s became more. So it goes back and forth. And every now and then you'll get these, these meetings of the minds. Like right now we're in a really good time if you read comic books because the stories are really interesting and the art is usually pretty tremendous. There's a lot of great artists out there. The weird and thing also, about comic yeah. books, yeah, you're getting a little hyperactive here. Hold on. Let me hop in right here real quick with this one. So with the weird thing about comic books that I really, really enjoy is the fact that movies, like, you know, when they kill off a character, that's it. That character's not coming back. Unless you're doing like some type of Dragon Ball Z where he gets a wish and all these things that they come together to bring the character back. But you watch a TV show, when a character dies, that's it. Okay, if you invested eight seasons in that character, that character's gone. The weird things about comic books that actually kind of it makes it kind of hard to follow is you can have one like Superman dies in one comic book and then Superman's alive in another one that comes out right after that. Like what's happening? Like we're not even following a storyline. We're going into all these different universes and all these different ideas. And you're realizing you're stepping into a, a template or you're stepping into the mind of another creator a comic book person, you know, when you have tangents of movies, you know, like um, they kind of stick around the same basis, but the comic franchise is so interesting. Like he had the X-Men Deadpool kills the whole Marvel universe and everything like that. And like, Whoa, what? Like incredible Hulk's dead. What? Like that's, it's ridiculous. But when they do that with the Avengers, you can't just bring somebody back. You can't just do that. Well, I mean, that's the thing about comic books that make comic books much more interesting than just about any other medium is that there is the specific continuity of the numbered books and all the different, um, and all the different sort of uh, adventures happening there. But then there's also offshoots. Like if somebody decides, Hey, I want to do this sort of else world thing where Deadpool kills off the Marvel universe. He'll do a four issue series of that. You'll read it and you'll enjoy it. But you know, in your head, it doesn't really affect the continuity of what's going on. You know, one issue to another in the main, universe in both dc and marvel and the same i guess goes for image and dynamite and some of the smaller ones there's the main universe this is what's going on in this in this sort of line and then there's these offshoots of some call them elseworld some call them what ifs and as far as people dying in comic books i mean that's just that's an old joke even from old comic book heads like me it's just somebody dies and it doesn't really have any impact because they're going to come back somehow in batman it'll be the lazarus pit or 
in you know the x-men it'll be some mutant has power to bring somebody back and so they do or they weren't really dead we just thought they were dead or you know they they can find any loophole the thing is when you step into a comic book and i don't know why this is i've talked about on the show with my co-host jamie filer um when you when you're in a con you just sort of accept that that's the reality that when somebody dies they're probably not going to die and they'll give you some tacit or you know surface level explanation of why they came back but you just kind of know that they're going to come back. And if you're going to enjoy the books, you don't really think too much about that. You go, Oh, okay. You know, um, you know, uh, Colossus drink this potion to rid the X-Men of this, uh, of this, uh, issue that they were having, uh, it was a plague or something. And, but the Tim drinking that killed him. Well, it turns out that cyborg was actually, or that Colossus was actually the, uh, you know, another Colossus and it wasn't the original Colossus and here's the original Colossus and he didn't know who he was and blah, blah. And it's really, I mean, you know, it's very, if you tried to do it in a TV show or you tried to do it in a movie, everybody'd be like, this is bullshit. I'm not watching this. But in a comic book, you're like, all right, okay, that's fine. And you just continue on with the story. Uh, comic books are, are fascinating to me because, you know, it's two-dimensional sequ- sequential storytelling. There is no real, like, right or wrong as far as continuity or plot. And yet somehow... You know, if if TV had done this, if movies had done this, people would have been done. The industry probably would have collapsed. But for some reason, comic books are allowed a lot of leeway with that, and they continue to get, continue to pumped out more and more. And what's great now is that you, if you really hate that shit, like I got friends of mine who will not touch a superhero comic with a ten foot pole. They're like I have no interest in any of that bullshit. And what's great now is that you have the underground comic scene, which has, you know, human stories, you know, normal human stories, day-to-day life, things like that, slice of life stuff told uh, through comic books. You know, there's a comic book called Brooklyn Dreams where it's just this guy's complete mental breakdown and it's told through different artists taking shots of this comic. And it's all, it's all sort of normal. It's not superhero-based, but it's still a, a comic book. It's still sequential storytelling. And that's why it's such a good time right now is because so much of a light is being shined on the underground comic book as much as the big two that, you know, it's, it, there's, there's a place for everybody. If well, you, we're, we're seeing a trend, we're seeing uh, superheroes and all these things come back into the uh, mainstream, you know, where it was considered nerdy or being a geek to worship comic books or wear a superhero shirt. <clears throat> it's become a bit of the mainstream. Like, uh, I, you know, the fact that comic book characters are kind of aware that there is a life after death. Like I think it was professor X, uh, that said in mutant heaven, um, there are no pearly gates, but instead revolving doors, like mm-hmm. it, the whole idea that you're going to come back, you know, death isn't the final answer, you know, Deadpool, um, he, he breaks the wall a little bit, kind of keeping the movies random, but still revolving around the comic universe. But I, I love that aspect of breaking the fourth wall, making like relevant that you are in a movie or that you are in a comic book, always kind of give the reader something fascinating to kind of read more interested about. I mean, comic books have been around forever from, you know, Conan the Barbarian to the old school tales of horror or astoundingly awesome tales, comic books of like Swamp Thing and all these monstrous creatures. I mean, they've been influenced in our society for so long, but now they're being looked at with a heavy light because of the fact that Disney and Marvel, they make these movies that are constantly in the mainstream where people go back and look at these comic books. You're starting to see them in stores again. You're starting to see them, you know, like in just a gas station where they kind of faded out after a, a bit of time. 
Well, like one of the bigger problems that, that me and, and my friends is being older comic book uh, readers. It, I don't, I mean, I, I like the Marvel movies a lot. Um, I'm not as in love with them as everyone else is. I, uh, there's nothing that they can do in a Marvel film that like, you know, Walt Simonson's not going to be able to do better on the comic page for me. That's just my thing. But one of the big problems in the, in the last 20 years with comic books, especially because of the movies and the eye on them is that the idea of weekly going in on comic book day on Wednesday and buying your single issues and reading them is uh, still sort of a thing that not everybody has a lot of interest in doing. So what's happened is more people, if they see, they go and they watch Deadpool and they go, wow, that was fun. And they'll go and they'll, they'll go to a comic book shop and go, I just saw the Deadpool movie. I would like to read more about Deadpool. They have a trade and the, the trade paperback, the collection used to be like, okay, well we want a, a way to sell these same comic books that we published, but no one's going to buy the single issues. Let's just throw them all together. These days, because the people who are coming from the movies, um, those who do, I, me, my, my co-host Jamie and most of my friends who are like nitty gritty comic book people, our idea is that the people who see the movie and then go by a comic book is like a unicorn. It just doesn't exist. Uh, cause I've, you know, I'm friends with most of the people who run comic book shops here in Cincinnati and I was in Boston when I was there in New York. And when the movies would come out, you know, whether it was the crappy, you know, movie with like Dolph Lundgren as the Punisher or the new Marvel stuff, they were like, we don't really see a jack up in sales. What they do see is they see a jack up in people coming in and wanting to buy trades. So now the industry has bent itself to every individual single issue has to have a storyline that lasts long enough to create a trade paperback. And that is an issue for us because it used to be, you know, Spider-Man would have a story that was one issue long, or you'd have a story that was maybe two issues long. Now everything is an event. Everything is 37 crossovers. Everything is a giant story arc because they need to package them into uh, trade paperbacks for people to read. And a lot of people get in, get confused. They're like, oh, well, I like to read graphic novels. Well, a graphic novel is a complete comic book thought or story presented uh, in that form. So it's like two, 300 pages of one thing. A trade paperback is a collection of individual issues that form a story that people can read a little bit easy, easier. So right now, because the movies have re-shined a light on comic books, they're like, okay, people are buying t-shirts, they're buying toys, um, the kids are coming to see them, everybody loves them, they're winning awards, everybody's super, like, Avengers Endgame made, what, like a billion something dollars. Um, they're trying to funnel that into the comic books themselves. And while people aren't really coming in and starting collections and building their, you know, like they did in the past, they will buy the trade. So now the comic book serves the trade instead of the trade serving the comic book, which I understand from a business standpoint and a greater mass reaching publication kind of way. But as someone who enjoyed reading books day in and day out, um, that sort of thing gets kind of boring to me. And it's another reason that I really appreciate and immerse myself more so in the independent comic book uh, movement because it'll either be an actual graphic novel or they'll they don't really care how much they sell that's not really what they're about so they'll do a two-issue serious story about their character and then move on or the story will be very weird or it won't make a whole lot of sense as far as linear storytelling and that keeps the keeps it interesting so well, i'm all i'm all, oh, sorry all, go ahead 
you gotta breathe there, buddy. Breathe. <laughs> it's cool. We got plenty of time, dude. Don't feel rushed. Look, I think I love it how enthusiastic you get about comic books. But for me, I'm trying. I got. I'm. I'm trying to understand as much as possible because you grew up in a generation that was around comic books. You had that influence in your life. Me, I didn't have that opportunity. I never had the chance to experience what comic books are because they weren't in the main. They weren't really kind of known in my life, which kind of sucked because, you know, uh, the best thing I have on my phone right now is the DC Universe app and the Marvel comic book app where I have all these unlimited comic books on my phone and on, you know, it's just right there. So at two o'clock in the morning, instead of looking on Amazon or something I can buy, I have something where I can see, you know, be able to pay attention, be able to do these multiple things. And, you know, it's crazy because, you know, it's awesome to see the wonderful things about comics, dude, because the list goes on and on and on from DC Universe kind of shedding a little bit of a dark history to a story or to a character to Marvel Universe kind of diving into that realm. But more like it's about a hero that gets a power, gets an ability through something, through an experience, through you know a radioactive bug or something. And then DC Universe is like, no, this kid... His, he lost his parents. His parents were shot in the theater. I'm like, whoa, like you see two twists of events when it comes to the story. Mm-hmm. So I'm confused. Like, so what, what is it exactly that you, that you want to know about? I, I'm, I'm just interested in kind of understanding, like a, a lot of people look at comic books and they think it like now how it's popping into the mainstream before it was looked at in such a strange way. Like it was seen as you were uh, like a nerd or something, or, you, you know, you didn't not understand the full story. I've been yelled at by comic book fans when I go see a movie and I, I you know, I might be that unicorn cause I go to a movie like, you know, I saw X-Men and I learned about Quicksilver. I didn't know who the hell Quicksilver was. I, didn't, I, I heard of him, but I never knew about him. I decided to read into the comic books, you know, and it, it was all from a scene from X-Men, like the last stand or not the last stand. It was uh, the, not first class, but the one after that, the newer one <laughs> where they had him running slow motion in that house. That was yeah. one of the coolest scenes. I think that would get any kid to chase after it. And it's like it adapts to a new generation. I mean, it's hooking on to. Uh, children in a way such as like you know my little cousin can watch a superhero movie or watch a superhero tv show now and he decides he wants to go look up the comic books because he never even knew what they were he didn't even know what a comic book was i was like i barely knew about it i used to get the ones um off the gas station like when i went to go get Yu-Gi-Oh or pokemon cards in the morning or in the morning when i was hanging with my grandparents i'm like what is this like i had the old japanese ones like the old style comic books where you, you didn't understand what they were saying but you knew what bang and pop meant when it popped up on the comic book page okay yeah i mean it's uh, that kind of thing as far as uh what they were and what they are in the um mainstream um trying to think it's you know that can be put along with anything that was once uh counterculture and then now is now is mainstream that just sort of happens like you know i grew up outside of comic books i grew up in the punk rock scene and you know when i was a kid and I was listening to punk rock and I had spiky hair and, and all this stuff, you know, I got made fun of, I got beat up, I got picked on and whatever. And now, you know, thanks to Green Day and, and Rancid and, you know, uh, <laughs> and Green Day, I love that. Um, and bands like that, punk rock is the mainstream, you know, like the t-shirts that, you know, now everybody and their brothers got like, you know, uh, colored hair and multiple piercings. I mean, when I was, when I first started getting tattoos, this is in the early nineties, late eighties, early nineties. You know, I, people, I got my first tattoo and I got fired 
and people wouldn't hire me for jobs and cops would follow me in grocery stores and things like that because they're like, oh, you have a tattoo. Clearly you're a scumbag. And now, you know, tattoo stores are on every block. And, you know, I got, I work with, you know, a hundred kids who are 20 years old and they all are covered before they even really understand the fact that they probably don't understand is that these are permanent. Um, and so that's just, you know, that just happens. And there are people who fight against it and there are people who get mad about it. I, I used to when I was younger because I had, you know, I had the vitriol of youth and I was going to show everybody, you know, you can't have this, it's mine. Then I sort of realized that it just kind of happens and, you know, you can either go with it or you can get lost in the, in the shuffle. But I watched punk rock go from an underground voice of the disassociated to, you know, the prom theme for some high school in, you know, the middle of the suburbs. I watched tattoos go from, if you have one, it was like a solidarity thing with other people that you were stepping out of the normal culture. And I've watched it become part of the mainstream where now it's almost like a rite of passage. Like used to be getting an earring was a rite of passage. Now it's getting a tattoo. Same thing with comic books. You know, comic books used to be, you're a nerd, you're a geek, you're a loser, ha ha, you're whatever. And, you know, comic book stores were these dark places and people go in here and go, what is this? This is dumb. And you took a lot of abuse for it. And then people found them for whatever reason, TV shows, movies, uh, and they would, and people started going, Oh, well maybe I'm into this or maybe I know about this. And it became the light shined on it and it became part of the mainstream that happens across the board with, with anything. Yeah. Yeah. I and that's just, that's just I, the way that is. It's crazy to see how so people can be so one-sided and pick on these people. They considered nerds and considered all these geeks for looking up comic books when now they're the ones doing it themselves. You know, sure. you find them getting fascinated with it. I think it's the idea like you, when it comes to a comic book, you want to you want to look up to a superhero. That's what you want to role model as. You want a superhero. You want someone that's invincible and someone that's like a good person and all these types of things. But we choose to put all our faith in celebrities. We choose to put our faith in people that are known to be flawed. I mean, you look at uh, you know someone in media today that would get uh, bad attention or bad publicity. Like they're people. You're not you're you're treating them like they're superheroes. You're investing so much time into them, and you're, you're trying to structure your life off them. You're supposed mm -hmm. to structure yourself off something that is obtainable, but you're also supposed to realize, you know, there's people that have faults. The best part about comic books is the heroes might have had faults, but they had something that was overcoming that. It gave you a perseverance. It also taught you a lesson in a comic book. You know, yeah. it, it, well, you, yeah. Well, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say that the difference for, I mean, at least from what I can tell um, in celebrity culture and comic books is that, uh, you know, you're right. People a lot of times will look at celebrities and go, well, I can't believe you did this. You're supposed to be a role model. And technically they didn't sign on to be a role model for a kid. They signed on to be an actor in a movie or to play a sport. Um, with comic books, I think superheroes are given a lot more leeway to be um, dark or to have pitfalls or whatever because everyone just goes well it's just fiction now to your point yeah there's a lot of kids who are like looking up to them and i think if you know they had one where superman you know I don't, if superman did something completely outside the box they would probably have an issue with that but if he has fails and trials and trials and tribulations and ups and downs or if batman is dark and brooding and whatever that there's a lot more leeway in that with celebrities the idea is not that i agree with this but the idea is you're a human being um, you're real, you're not fiction. So you're supposed to live up to this ideal because you're famous and you're in the public eye and you're our kids, um, you know, our kids hero. And 
it, it's just as unrealistic to expect a human being to be flawless as it is, you know, a superhero. Because what happens is superheroes were flawless and never had, you know, any real issues or it was always like, they're going to rob the bank and I'm going to stop them. And that was the Silver Age. And if you, a lot of people, if you go, go back and read the Silver Age now, they can't even get through them. They're like, this is so silly. This is so stupid because there's no, you know, depth to the character. There's no dark side. There's no pitfalls or pratfalls. Superman's never questioning himself or Batman or Wonder Woman or Green Lantern or, or X-Men, uh, Wolverine, any of them. Uh, like you could never have a Wolverine character in the Silver Age because he's a killer, basically. That's like one you of my favorite. That's one of my favorite uh, superheroes. To be honest with you, yeah. uh, you know Wolverine. I love the original costume content to him, though, not the newer kind of version they did with Logan. Yeah. See, and the, and the thing, one of the reasons that Logan, I mean, because he's one of my favorites too. One of the reasons I think Logan is so popular is because he taps into one a, a side of us that we would all like. That no matter what comes in in our face you know whatever no matter what comes the primal up us, side the primal yeah people i'll be able to fuck somebody up if they get in my face <laughs> um you know like I'll, if someone fucks with me i'm gonna be able to kill them here my that's why the claws even though they're not the most powerful power in the world it's the coolest because if someone comes at you and you, you just pop those out they're gonna be like eh, just kidding and walk away um and the fact that he can heal so you're basically unbeatable so no bully no you know bad person no mugger no anything can come at you and also, he has no problem killing people. Well, a superhero who has no problem killing people, that's inherently interesting. So people are like, oh, that's awesome. Wow, I want to know more about that. But then, you know, the celebrity who has no problem killing people, well, you have to go to jail and thanks for playing our game. So it's, you know, they're both people that they look up to, but it's a very, uh, you know, different reality. It's the same thing like Superman has so many detractors because he can blow out a star with his breath. How do you put, tension or drama into a comic like that like what can't he do um stephen king once said that he liked batman over superman because yeah it's it's the concept superman he is this invincible figure in a comic book and you, you said it but he's also limited by something and it's the concept of if you have a superhero or anybody that has a, a amazing everything can't can never get hurt, can never, you know, doesn't have one single weakness. It makes him unrelatable. See, this is what makes superheroes so fascinating is because they have a weakness. They have something that is their downside. Superman is kryptonite, you know, Wolverine is apparently getting his head ripped off, you know, it's Deadpool. Like he's the only one that doesn't have some type of fatal flaw unless they put a bullet with cancer in it or something and mm -hmm. shot him with it and then you know it sped up or took out his powers or something where you saw it in like the original deadpool movie it's it's crazy to see like the one movie i did not like that they had wolverine was was logan was because you saw something where you didn't ever thought could happen wolverine aging wolverine turning into this you know mortal man this guy that was becoming sick and his cancer was coming back faster it was a good idea but it was something i was like damn i don't want to see this happen yeah they did that in um that movie was taken off of a of a comic book called old man logan which was supposed to be set many 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 years in the future the one thing about logan is that logan is always aging he's always sick or if i like he's kind of um always fighting off the uh the poison of the metal that's in his body, but his healing factor keeps him above that. Technically, if you if you want to go by technical, he the older he gets, the slower his immunity um, is able to work against him. So they had this whole after the success of the miniseries, they had this whole se series of 
old man Logan, where he was from going back to, what we were talking about before about all these different universes. He was from a different universe timeline. And he got put into the normal continuity by something that's way too long to get into, but he was there and he's dying because he's so old that his healing factor is starting to fall apart. And he's going through this adventure, trying to right one last wrong before he, he dies. And they kind of took that for Logan, I guess, to make the character more interesting. I'm, mainly, I'm thinking to show off the fact that the guy who was playing them had aged after the 10 years that he'd been playing him. Uh, I was not a big fan of that either. I didn't really mind that Logan um, was aging. I just, like, I didn't, I, I didn't really care for the fact that Professor X was a senile old man and the whole thing with his daughter. And I was just, I was like, this is a, a bunch of good ideas that just aren't being executed properly. Which, but as far as Superman goes, um, and back to the the note, when Superman was created, it's funny because when he was created, he was not unstoppable. Like he could bullets would bounce off him, but he couldn't fly. He could only leap tall buildings with a single bound. And he was a social avenger. Like he fought he fought um, corrupt uh, bosses who were uh, ripping off the people who worked for them. And, and Saul Luther. Yeah, and then and all these other things that he was doing that were very social conscious. And at some point, he became the the tent pole for the the government like he was the government's go-to guy and his ability to be invulnerable was everyone really embraced that during world war ii because it seemed like the world was ending and to have somebody that couldn't be hurt go in and just take care of it at that point everyone really embraced that as people got older and and times changed and you know values of pop culture and per, and the mainstream changed People didn't want to see that. They wanted to see their superheroes with flaws. And and so writing Superman became more and more uh, of an issue. That's why they throw everything but the kitchen sink at him. He's got a kid. He's got a wife. He's got a this. He's got a that. He's got a family. He's got, you know, these different worlds that are living in a bottle in his house in Krypton. And, and you know, that for me, it just, that doesn't, I'm not, it just doesn't interest me. Um, if you could have one superpower, what would it be? Uh, oh, I've always, that, that's always been a tough one for me because, um, people always say reading minds, but I'm like, you wouldn't want to know what everyone was thinking all the no, time. I don't want to know what everybody's thinking about me for sure. Um, I'm trying to think what would it be? Probably see, I used to be the, the healing factor thing. So I would never get sick, but I'm like, yeah, but, at, and when I was 28, that was seemed really cool at 48. Like I'm like, well, I don't really want to outlive all my friends and my wife and just be sitting around going, well, I, wow, I can live forever. So I, you know, plus you want to be able to use a sick day at work. I mean, come on, yeah, ever, you ever get <laughs> sick yeah. and they know that they're like, why are you calling out? Like, I, I don't feel good, but we know you got I, that regenerative ability. Yeah. It's like, I'm regenerating. I, I don't feel good. Um, I'm trying to think if I could probably have any, Mine would be like time travel, dude, like Looper, like, you know, that movie or the mm -hmm. Nightcrawler, how he can teleport anywhere just by seeing something like I would yeah. love that ability because then I would just teleport all over the place. Yeah, that would be good. I would probably um, try to think what would if I could have any. You see, I, I go back and forth to this. Like the one is that I would like to be as intelligent as Batman. But then I'm like, that's not really a superpower. That's just he spent a lot of time reading. Probably if I could have one, um, if I could have one superpower, it would be. Uh, mm, uh, I want to say telekinesis, where I could like move. Probably the power of Professor X, because he can pretty much do anything. You know, if Superman landed in front of Professor X and was like, "I'm going to crush your bones," he'd go, "No, you're not." And Superman would go, "No, I'm not," and fly away. Um, I would like that 
level of ability to move things with my mind, to be able to get into people's brains and and about, control what they you, do. I'm about to give you a good would you rather. So if you could choose to have the pre- Professor X ability where you can read people's minds and be able to kind of control people's minds, but every time you used it, you slowly, you're, you got Alzheimer's, you got worse. Oh, no, then I wouldn't want it at all. Oh, yeah. See, I was thinking if I could teleport, but once I teleported somewhere, I had to wait like a, like a year or so to be able to teleport back. And I realized I'd be screwed. That would actually be a cool comic book idea someone who's got who he's like i can teleport but if i go i have to sit there like you have you have the ability to use telekinesis but every time you try and bring an object towards you it flies at you like 100 miles an hour and hits you no control how yeah that would get a beer from the fridge next you know a beer just slams you across the head or the it'd be like the x-men who can't really control their powers that would actually be kind of funny i like the idea of the guy who can teleport and can't get back for a year because he can teleport all around town but then like have it where something serious comes up where he has a chance to like right a wrong way in the past but if he goes and does it it'll be he'll be stuck there for a year that would be kind of interesting actually you should write that that would be great i would like the guy that could only fly if he was inside a house or something or inside a building so whenever he'd fly he just hit the ceiling yeah that would be that would be a little bit more <laughs> mad magazine end of it but the other idea would be an actual really good comic book i don't know it's hard to explain it's hard for me because there's so many aspects like i would love hulk's strength but i don't want hulk's temperament i would love batman's intelligence but i don't want you know batman's basic that's the great thing about batman is that he's just a human being he just happens to be the ultimate human being he has um, to be extremely wealthy as well yeah that would be nice too i guess i could go with that uh yeah I, it would have to be if someone came to me it'd have to be the professor x uh just because i could live um a normal life but i could also do good for people the only other thing I would want, if I guess, would be the ability to heal other people. Like if someone said, here's a superpower that I could like walk into, you know, the Ronald McDonald house and be like, you no longer have cancer and you no longer have cancer. And, you, and just walk through the world curing people of diseases. That would be nice. That would probably be the one I wanted. If someone said, can you can do anything supernatural, it would be able to be cure anyone of any disease um, without it like, you know, costing me anything like you were saying before, that would probably be the one because then I would just, because I spend a lot of time doing uh, charity work, uh, benevity work through Ronald McDonald House with Apple. And I see, you know, we do a lot of stuff and you see these kids and you'd like to just go up to them and touch their heads and go, and you're, cle- and you're, you know, healed and you're healed and you're healed and you're healed. And I, that would probably be it. I guess if I had to really think about it, it would be the ability to heal people of disease, sickness. My, you know, one of my close friends, he's got a daughter who's non-communicative um, um, and uh, I would like to be able to just go up to her and she'd be cured and then that would be great that's there you go that's what I would like that's probably it right that's there. a good one that's definitely good I think a cool like one of my all-time favorite superheroes a lot of people give him a lot of crap for because he technically doesn't have any superpowers but he gets it from a ring uh, the Green Lantern one of my all-time yeah. favorites I mean I love that concept first of all like to think that there's other like planets out there and they choose one off each planet to basically be the protector of that planet but you know that the smartest one of that generation or something or you know just the one who's the most honest and true I love that yeah. idea and then coming yeah. together on a on a ring like I remember I read the comic book where the Green Lancer killed off the whole earth like the whole Nivcore, the whole thing just destroyed them all I was like, what's happening? Like, this is not what I wanted to enjoy. I love the concept of all these groups, no matter their differences, no matter their looks, they're all united in one purpose to protect the basically galaxy. 
Was that the one where he got infected by parallax? Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, that, that's, I mean, a lot of people had the same issue that you had with that story. It's just like, wait, I don't want Hal Jordan to be this killer. And it's funny because after he got cured of parallax and sort of helped defeat him, when he went back to the Green Lantern Corps, even though he was Hal Jordan, the most powerful, all of them, he, there was a lot of people, he, there was a long time in the book where he, people just didn't trust him. They didn't want him in the core anymore. They wouldn't, you know, he had to do a lot of sectors by himself because no one would work with him because of what had happened. So yeah, I mean, that's actually a great example of, of like, okay, I, I love this. It's the power of the imagination. It's the um, power of, you know, what's, what I can do with my mind if I'm fighting evil. And then it's used for mass destruction. And people are like, I don't, I don't want to read that. And I thought it was cool that they at least had a long impact where he had to deal with the, the uh, fallout instead of, well, you helped save the day, so we're not mad anymore. Well, sadly, no one cares about a story anymore. Like when it comes to the kids growing up now, they don't care about uh, a character's story. They only care about what's going to, you know, who's going to die, who's going to get their head chopped off, who's going to get killed, who's going to, you know, it's, it's the same thing over and over and over again where I see the movies kind of do it a little bit of injustice in a way. There are some good ones. Don't get me wrong. Avengers is really good. You know, creates humor, especially like you're seeing Thor in Endgame and he's like, he gets he gets killed in Fortnite or something. He's like, "Forget you, Mister Unicorn Fart Master Thirty Two. Like that is funny, but it loses a little bit of aspect with a lot of comic books. Um, what its intentions were, kind of unraveling a story and giving a little bit of this kind of relatable experience. Like, what makes a superhero, a supervillain relatable is that they're people, but they have something going on with them. They have a super, whether like you could be Superman from another universe, but you're still experiencing what it was like and through his eyes as growing up being different, you know, seeing it from his perspective where he had these capabilities. And I feel like a lot of times with the movies, it's just easy to throw an explosion and a bunch of money at it rather than truly dive deep into the story and create something that at least creates an emotional stimulus in somebody. I guess I, for me, I mean, you know, for all their many flaws, I thought the Marvel, the MCU did a better job of, of creating, of tying emotion into what could be just boom, bang comic book stuff. than 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 like the DC universe has done or anyone else, because, you know, at the, at the end of end game, when Captain America is going to, facing off against Thanos on his own. And then you hear, you know, Cap, hold on. And all the superheroes show up to help him. People got real swept up in that because they had invested so much emotion into all these characters. And I thought the MCU did a good enough, did a really, really good job of creating 3D characters that we actually invested in, not just because they were superheroes, but because we want, we love them as people. We were excited that Captain America went back and found the love of his life. We were devastated that Iron Man died. We were, you know, uh, psyched that Ant-Man and his kid got to come back together and all that. I thought they did a much better job than other um, movies have done in creating that synergy. And it's funny, I think the reason they're so successful is because they do connect that synergy. Uh, You know, if people either want a complete lack of story, like the Fast and Furious movies, or they want to have something that they can invest in. And if you see the DC, DC never could get the combination right either way. So all of a sudden, they had nothing. You know what I mean? Like nobody cared. No one went and saw those films or wanted to see them or, or thought they all sucked. So 
yeah, they really shot under the radar or they really over the top produced. I think it's yeah. we never we can't ever find a common ground when it comes to these comic book movies that get made. It always seems like they have to go all the way out or they have to go just the bare requirement. I'm like, let's find a common ground. Like I love the Green Lantern movie, even though a lot of people gave it trash and so did Ryan Reynolds. But that was only because it had it was the only superhero movie for the Green Lantern. You know, it was the only one at the time that I was like, love it or hate it. Yeah, there's things they could have added to it that could have made it better, but it was still a movie I was going to enjoy either way. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. I mean, I did not like the Green Lantern movie, but I, I for mainly because I thought they didn't really do anything to attach it to the actual story of Hal Jordan or make him anything other than just this uh, this vessel that we could show how cool our special effects could be. Um, you know, but that's, that, you know, at, with that, at that point when it came out, I think, I don't even know, if, I think MCU was in its infancy. So I was just sort of thinking that you just can't make a good comic movie. Um, you know, the, probably the best example of that is the, the Watchmen. The Watchmen's a good film, but it's not a great adaptation of that. And it's very adult. I ordered that when I was sitting with my parents and I thought it was going to be a cool superhero movie. And let me tell you something, it was not. First thing you're seeing is Dr. Manhattan and his naked self all over the screen. I'm like, whoa. Yeah. Well, I mean, that was the the that was the first foray foray into let's seriously like you know giving superheroes um, personality disorders uh, or traits that are you know a little dark or whatever is one thing, but to treat the superhero world as superheroes are a bunch of assholes like fully human is and they have dark sides they do fucked up things they're interested in fame and money and one of them is a you know a fucking horrible rapist and all this stuff. That no one had ever done anything like that. So when the Watchmen came out, everybody was like, "Whoa!" And luckily, Alan Moore and David Gibbons were good enough storytellers that it got the point across that what Alan Moore was saying was, "We worship superheroes and we give superheroes all of this uh, levity to, to protect us and control us, but we don't really know anything about them. And if they did turn out to be assholes, what, what could we possibly do about it?" And so. But when they tried to translate into the movie, it just kind of became a special effects thing. And they tried to sort of shoot it darkly so that it looked dark and, and deep, but it really wasn't. And it just kind of failed on that level. Uh, but I also think that that's one of the few comic books that could never actually be shot as a film. I just, there's too much in between the panels. There's too much that the brain fills in for that to work. But anyway, that was just one example of the, you know, where they tried to make, they tried to attach a human emotional element to a comic book and it failed miserably. The other would be the DC. MCU, they're not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but they managed to get that synergy really, really right, where you cared so much about these characters that like, you know, when Black Widow sacrificed herself to get the Red Stone, there were people next to me that were like weeping. Yeah, a lot of people got impacted by it. I loved how they were able to kind of come together with it all and be able to kind of do it justice in a way, like still make, you know, what the essence of what superhero movies and supervillain movies are at, at their core, you know, obviously right. teaching a lesson, but obviously keeping the person on their seat, you know, not, mm -hmm. not just waiting for, oh, well, I saw that happening. Like you're watching The Walking Dead. It's the same thing over and over and over again. It's like eventually people are going to get tired of it. And I love like where I do see like they do try super hard or they don't try at all. You know, they did do it right with the Avengers. Like that always created a good concept. It was fun for the kids and it was fun for the like the older adults to get into it and kind of 
be able to talk about it too. And then kind of maybe, you know, learn a little bit about themselves and kind of go back to the originals. You know, it's always a great concept when you see something truly come together, when everything seems like it just falls into place perfectly. Mm -hmm. And, and walking dead was, that was too bad because it had such, it had good steam at first, but yeah. once it hit the fourth season, you're like, all right, how many times is it going to be the same thing over and over again? And then someone barely dies. Like, yeah. and, and it was, the comic book was like that too, which is funny. But it's crazy because like, once you hit nine seasons, it's like, all right, now it's time. It's, it's, it's dead. Let's just let it die. Well, that was the, the, the Walking Dead recently, like two months ago, ended the comic book run sort of unceremoniously at like issue 165. Now, they said they always plan to do that. Whether or not that's true, I don't know. But it, they, were, they were definitely feeling the same backlash. I think TV exposed the problems in the storytelling faster than the comic book did because the comic book had been around seven or eight years before the show started. But it was like, okay, so these people walking around with the dead people and then they meet a group of people who turn out to be assholes they fight them somebody dies and they meet another group of assholes and it's just like you can't as much as you may care about the characters the characters also have to do something different or you're like i don't care you know what i mean like you eventually just get bored of watching them do the same thing over and over and over again yeah so if you had to say one thing to people out there that are kind of interested in looking back into the comics books what would you offer to them uh, well, first thing is you're going to want to listen to Cream Comics Rule Everything Around Me, the greatest comic book podcast in the world. That's shameless awesome. plug, shameless, shameless plug, right there. Uh, probably the best thing to do would be not concern yourself. If you really want to get into it, find a character that you just love, and then Google, uh, you know, their their best stories. Don't concern yourself with starting the beginning. Don't consider yourself with the the continuity of the character don't concern yourself with any of that find uh, a story that sounds interesting to you get the trade and and read that and if the story continue if the character continues to interest you you know maybe pick up a couple of single issues and see if you can hold on but really what's great right now and we were talking about this earlier but we what's great right now with the trades even though you know some people have a problem with a lot more people have problems with this than i do because i just i'm at the point now i've watched punk rock tattoos, comic books, uh, horror films, uh, everything, you know, become part of the mainstream culture that I just, there's no reason to fight it. It just is what it is. So uh, what, one of the great things, the pluses about it is that if you are that unicorn who saw the film and said, well, motherfucker, I'm going to go out there and find a comic book. There's, you can do it without having to immerse yourself in a lot of bullshit that you may not want to get involved in. So if you love a character, Google them. And be like, top 10 Wolverine stories. Read through the descriptions, find the ones that you like, and read those. And don't worry about, I have to be a collector, or I'm going to be a comic book guy, or whatever. Just read what you like, and enjoy it. That's the best way to do it. Well, hey, I appreciate you being on the podcast, Ian. It was great talking to you. And thanks you for too. enlightening me about the world of comic books. Because honestly, a, I'm still... I had a pleasure too. I had a, I had I'm sorry I keep cutting you off. I get real excited talking about this stuff, but I, I had a great time. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it.